Father, it is such a joy to sing about Jesus, to sing repetitively about the gospel, to get it deep ingrained into the very cores of who we are. Thank you that Jesus died. Thank you that Jesus rose. Thank you that before all that, Jesus lived for us and offered himself as a sacrifice in our place so that through Jesus, we could benefit eternally, not based on the works we've done, but on the works Jesus accomplished for us. And we celebrate that and we testify to that, Lord, because we are a people that are forgetful. We are a people that need reminding, Lord. One of the most common uh, commands is to remember in the scriptures because we forget. And it is good to be in God's house remembering your gospel. Now, God, I just pray, though, that the singing about the gospel wouldn't leave a disconnect between the gospel we sing about the gospel that saves, the good news about Jesus, but it's also the gospel that changes us. It's the gospel that you use to transform us such that the people we were when we came to Jesus are not the people we're becoming. Praise God, no, that's not who we are anymore. We are becoming like Jesus. We have a trajectory. We have purpose. We have direction. We have the Spirit of God moving in us to accomplish that work and apply the benefits of redemption to us that we might be strengthened to persevere knowing ultimately you're holding us, Lord. We thank you for that. We know one of the ways that you continue to cause us to persevere, cause us to be transformed is through the proclamation of your word. In fact, John 17 is so clear. Sanctify them in the truth Your word is truth. So God, as we come to your word, I pray that you would continue to sanctify your people, that you would save sinners that don't know you today, cause them to be born again through the living and abiding word of God, but that you would also grow the saints to apply the word of God to their lives. And so reflect on the outside what's changed on the inside by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, we invite you to do that now recognizing we can do nothing apart from you and ask that you be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Let me encourage you to stay standing for the reading of God's word. It's fun to sing together, isn't it? There's something really sweet about that and the room is particularly full. It feels a little bit warm, but I I honestly feel, is it just us getting our worship on a little bit? Like, I just love that. There's like a body warmthness that's so awesome. I'm gonna say it. I just said it. (laughs) Ephesians 4 is where we're gonna come out of today. It's one of many passages, as you know, if you've been a part of this series for the last two weeks, it's one of many passages we'll cover but I'm going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read down to verse 24. This is the reading of scripture, the word of the Lord for this morning. Paul writes and says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. You can be seated. Well, good morning, guys and ladies. Happy Mother's Day again. What a blessing. Moms, you are such a gift in so many ways, and uh, even if you are not told that today by your own kids, let me tell you, you are awesome, and keep plugging away. Do not stop, all right? God sees what you are doing. God sees the sacrifices you are making. God is honored in the work that you do when no one is looking. Cannot say thank you enough to the sacrifices that you moms make. Love you, grateful for you, and uh, those who should be grateful for you, if they're not, they really should be. You know what I'm saying? And if they are, celebrate that today, okay? Just really, really grateful. You're gonna be happy today, moms. I I feel like you spend most of your time trying to get people in your life to change, and... uh, And so the whole message is about people changing. Come on, moms, come on. (laughs) So much of your time is spent, like they're not always going to be this way, right? God help us. We need some powerful tools of change in our lives, and you're going to get that today. Uh, We're in the middle of a series, a topical series called the gospel is, and, uh, and we've been pretty excited about this series because the gospel is actually central to the Christian faith. <laughs> you can't be a Christian without believing in the gospel, and uh, because the gospel being preached here every week can become assumed, we thought maybe in its uh, assumption, we could lose it in some ambiguity, not really know what it is, and then have it be altered in some way, and we didn't want that. We wanted to be clear about the gospel, and we think the gospel is maybe um, truncated down to be smaller than it really is, and so we wanted to give a big picture view, and then also get down on the ground and see it from the perspective of the individual, and so here's kind of where we've been. The first week, we talked about what we said was the gospel in the air. Okay, and we talked about the fact that the gospel at large is God's story that is framed in scripture through the story of creation at the beginning and then the fall in Genesis 3, which explains the problem in our world. 
the solution, which is the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, his person, and specifically his work for us, living, dying, and rising for us. And then we have, because of Jesus Christ, reconciling this fallen, broken world to himself, the hope of new creation, the consummation of all of God's promises in and through Jesus. And so while the gospel is good news for us specifically, we started and said the gospel is good news for the world that is broken, that in Christ it will be made whole and restored and renewed and redeemed. And then last week, we talked about the gospel. We got out of the air, we got out of the 30,000 foot view, and we came down to the gospel on the ground, and we said, as much as the gospel's for the world, and it's Christ's tri- uh, cosmic triumph o- over all things that are broken in the world, it's also the gospel's for us. And we talked about how the gospel is specifically the good news about Jesus. And we broke that down with those four words. You remember? We started with God and his glory and his holiness and his love. And we talked about man, image bearers of God that had walked out of step with their vocational calling to be worshipers who extended God's wise stewardship out of that worship to the world and working the world, having dominion over it. We walked out of step with God. We decided to worship and serve created things instead of the creator which plummeted us into sin. And so sin is the human problem, both by our nature and by our decisions. And left to ourselves, we were hopelessly lost. And Christ came, the second person of the Trinity, took on our nature, human nature, and dwelt among us and lived perfectly so that we could have his righteousness credited to our account and died sacrificially and substitutionally, substitutionarily so that his death could atone for our sins and the payment that we owe. And then he rose from the dead three days later, conquering Satan, sin, and death, such that this happens. The moment you embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trusting in his person and his work, living for you a perfect life, a life you didn't live, dying for you a substitutionary death, a death you deserve to die, and rising for you to new life, those who have trusted in Jesus, God declares you righteous. That's justification. God declaring you righteous in spite of the fact that you don't measure up, but because of the fact Jesus does, and you're staking all your hope, your claim, and your confidence on him. Such that we can say, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have been saved. Okay? You're saved. Past tense. You're saved from some things in the gospel. You're saved from God and his wrath. You're saved from your sin. You're saved from death. You're saved from hell. You're saved from all kinds of things. So in the gospel of Jesus Christ, on the ground last week, we got to this fundamental nature of justification by faith, you being saved already, penalty of sin paid for through the work of Jesus Christ, and the power of sin over your life canceled because of his work. But this week, what we have to deal with is the fact that the presence of sin is still there. And that old nature is still dwelling within us. So how does the gospel impact us in the present? In other words, 
if you truly were saved and justified by faith, the way we'll see it on a day-to-day basis is that you will be being saved. Because anyone who has Christ in them is going to be changing to look more like him as the days go on. You say you follow Jesus Christ, we will see it because Christ getting into you by faith, you being united to Christ by faith means a progressive, lifelong pursuit of holiness has begun in you, believer. We call that lifelong ever increasingly being conformed to the image of Jesus or growing in holiness to be the process of sanctification. So you've been saved and today is you are being saved. You were saved from some things, Satan, sin, death, wrath, hell, and you're being saved to some things. Communion with Christ, community with Christ's body, conformity to Christ, and commissioned unto Christ's work. This is what we're being saved to. So the gospel applies in our present. In other words, the gospel isn't just what we need to be made right with God. The gospel is the tool that God uses to make us ever increasingly like Jesus. So the title of the message this morning is this. The gospel is, number three, God's tool of transformation. Okay, the gospel is God's tool of transformation. And I want to lay down what I would consider, if you look at the entire New Testament picture, the four major categories of transformative work that the gospel accomplishes in the true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Four benefits, four of the key benefits of the transforming work of the gospel. You already heard them. Communion with Christ, community in Christ's body, conformity to Christ, and commissioned for Christ. All of those are God's means by the Spirit gifted to us upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that help us become what God would have us to become, namely like his son. We're going to break that down today. So first thing we're going to see, how does the gospel work in us today? And this is one of the confusing questions, right? If you can get the gospel right in terms of how did I become a Christian, How did God save me from me from my sin? If you can articulate that, the next challenge is figuring out how does the gospel, this good news about Jesus, help me to become more like Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to deal with. So number one, first thing, first benefit of the transforming work of the gospel is communion with Jesus Christ. What a blessing. In other words, what I'm saying is, apart from Jesus Christ, no one is in right relationship with God. Because of Jesus Christ, you can be in right relationship with God. And if you are in Jesus Christ by faith, you are in right relationship with God. And so how do you grow that? How do you develop that, right? You're now in right relationship with God, but you don't know much about him when you become a Christian, Besides the foundational elements of the gospel is typically what takes place. So how do we grow? Here's how you grow. You grow in Jesus by seeing more of Jesus. That's how you grow. 
okay? If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we'll be. We'll camp out there. We'll camp out in a whole bunch of mentions of passages, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to go, and you're going to see a really helpful verse that helps explain this process. In verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 gets at this communion with Christ, this growing in Christ happens by seeing more of Christ. Notice what he says here. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. You see that? Beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed. Not beholding the glory of the Lord, we transform ourselves. That's not what it says. What does it say? As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. So how do we grow in the faith? We gotta see more of Jesus. I'll show you this in even a kind of consummative way. If you go to 1 John 3, 2, which you don't have to go there for the sake of time, we have this confidence knowing that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. This is the joy of the Christian life. We get to see, we get to behold Jesus. Where do you go to behold Jesus? Where do you go? To your imagination? You go into nature? Not primarily. You go to the scriptures. You go to behold Jesus in the scriptures. Guys, we go to get to know, get a sight of Jesus through the scriptures. We want the Jesus of scripture and from the scriptures we see Jesus. See the scriptures, they don't end on themselves. The scriptures show us Jesus. We don't want a Jesus someone's made up. We want a Jesus as he's revealed himself in the word of God. We want a Jesus, if you go on in 2 Corinthians 4, we want a Jesus that is displaying his glory in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Just a few verses later. Guys, the benefit of the gospel is the grace to see by the Spirit's spotlight the glory of Christ in the gospel. That's where it begins. That's where it's centralized. That the spirit shines the spotlight on blind, spiritually blind people's so eyes so that we can see it. He shines the spotlight on Jesus so we can see the glory of Jesus for all that he is in his beauty, tenderness, love, glory, his work. And we come to see him, and when we come to see him, we take in who he is, and we are undone by who he is. As we see Jesus, we get to know Jesus. And here's the thing. We get to know Jesus because the, the gift of the gospel is the spirit of God indwelling us. So it's not us forcing ourselves like, okay, I really hope I see something good about Jesus today. No, 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 the spirit of God is needed to help you know God. The spirit of God is needed to help you behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And the spirit has been given and dwells you permanently. 
such that when you see Jesus, you savor Jesus. You grow in a love for Jesus. You grow in an affection for Jesus. You grow in a hunger for Jesus. You can say with the Apostle Paul, words that never made sense before, that all things are loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You can say that. You could start being able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. You can start saying that because you have the spirit of God shining a spotlight on Jesus, opening your eyes so you can see the glories of Jesus. And as you press into the glories of Jesus as revealed into the scriptures, in the scriptures you start to change because in beholding you are compelled And you know how I know this works? Because it works in a natural way in really practical dynamics in our world. We get to see this on a supernatural level, becoming more like Jesus. That can only happen through the Spirit. But the way I know it's possible that in our beholding, we start becoming, as I look at any sports fan that's intense about their sports. Okay, here's how I know the beholding and becoming thing is a byproduct. They go together, right? When you see somebody who has beheld an NFL game, Do you know that person who has just caught a glimpse of glory? You know, let's make this person Christian too because it'll be entertaining, okay? So he's Christian. So we'll call it little G glory and he's caught a glimpse of, of glory. He saw a game go into overtime, field goal kicked to the last second. His team, he didn't have a team. He's got a team now. They won, right? So the next year he's like, honey, for the sake of the kingdom of God. I need to go share the gospel with people inside that stadium, so I'm gonna need season tickets, all right? (laughs) And we need one of those subscriptions to Michael's because I'm gonna paint myself head to toe. (laughs) And I'm gonna scream my face off during the game. And I'm gonna gonna prepare too, like before I know it's like coming, the game's at one, we gotta get there, and so I'm gonna gonna get all together, I'm gonna get ready. There's, There's things Saturday morning I can't do, you know what I'm saying? Because Saturday afternoon's coming or Sunday if you're in the NFL, but if you're in college, you do Saturdays, Sunday's NFL, right? You've got, you've got all these things now that are oriented around this sports thing. It's crazy what people will do. And you will scream your head off, but then you'll come into church and you'll go through the motions. Isn't it crazy? And like, I remember the message, Chris, you gave on men singing. And that was probably one of the best singing days. Like you just, pre- men Gotta watch my, gotta watch what I was gonna say there. Men sing. When you're beholding glory, you respond. Don't tell me you're not affected by Jesus when I see you being so affected by the NFL and tell me that's a spirit problem or a someone else's problem, but not a your heart's affections problem. Because we see that you get compelled by something, and so God help us. We even sing songs about this, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get your eyes there. Look full in his wonderful face. Because the things of this world, and the NFL, and college sports, as glorious as they are, lowercase g, will grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the change. 
You don't produce that, but God produces it in you by his spirit. The spirit's the key. The spirit's the key. Do you see that? You're becoming like who you're not, and it's glorious, and there's no stopping it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So get on that horse and stare at Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures, and for your soul's good, be satisfied in everything that you see there. Ask the spirit to lead you. Those affections grow increasingly. People will pray all the time, help me, help me. I need you to pray for me that you would love the word. The problem is that the word creates hunger for the word. So you need to be disciplined to get in the word and then you will feast on the word. If you keep praying, me pray for you about getting into the word, I'm just going, would they just obey? And then I'll pray for your affections to be stirred when you're in the word. So let's do that. That's the first thing. The second thing, communion with Christ leads us into community in Christ's body. Okay? Communion with Christ leads us into community with Christ in Christ's body. Listen, if we go from beholding Jesus and we savor Jesus, we're going to enjoy who Jesus is. It's going to be awesome, right? And he, all of a sudden, if we love Jesus, we start loving what Jesus loves. That's just what happens. We love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves his church. In fact, the gospel, the gospel announcement, what it does is when the gospel is preached and it's effectually preached unto the salvation of sinners, it births by the Spirit's power a gospel people. That God's intention, when I say we're saved from sin, saved from death, that's how we normally hear about the gospel. We're actually saved to community with one another. This this that we spend so much time complaining about, this was God's awesome idea. This where we get so grumpy and you're like, you know, seven months at one church and seven months at another church and seven months at another church and seven months at another church. This is the thing the angels are like, ah, this is awesome. This is God's plan. And we're like, meh. I got podcasts, you know. The gospel literally forms the church. The fruit of the gospel forms the church. You're the church. How do you know? You got saved. Because what happens? When you are justified, I love what one commentator said, when you are justified, you become familified. Justification, being legally declared righteous by faith, turns to (laughs) adoption as sons. You get adopted into the body of Christ. You are sons of the king. I love what John Stott noted as he looked at the book of Acts. He said, if you see the book of Acts, you'll notice the spirit didn't add them to the church without saving them. And he didn't save them without adding them to the church. They weren't added to the church if they weren't saved, but if they got saved, they were added to the church. That's how it worked. Because Through faith in the gospel, God is forming one people, baptized according to Ephesians 4 into one body, by one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This was God's idea, a corporate, unified whole, centered around the gospel and precious to Jesus Christ. He loves his church. I remember in college, I went to that phase where I um, was just over the church. You know, 
thought the church was a bunch of, you know, sellouts, there's compromises. I started to see some problems in the church. You go through your first kind of bumps in the road, didn't have a really extensive church background. So I was kind of over it, right? And then, but I kept reading the Bible because, you know, you kind of do that. I'm going to just ISO my Christianity for a while, you know? Like I'm involved. I got some community here and there. And you know what the Bible kept showing me? Jesus loves his church. If you love Jesus as much as you say you do, how come you don't love the church? He laid his life down for the church. I see it totally differently now as a shepherd of God's people. When I get frustrated because my own sin and my own flesh is affected by what is experienced in community just like you guys, but it's worth it because Christ, every struggle relationally, every hit relationally, none of that compares to my sin against a holy God. Nothing that you guys could ever do against me could ever be even close to comparable to the debt that I have against God. And he has forgiven me and he loves you dearly and I continue to see that and want to love you dearly. And there's no like weirdness in that. I don't want you to hear like it's you against me, though that's how it sounded. But it's the idea of generally speaking, I walk through things just like you walk through things, right? There are times when you sense that someone's against you or talking or saying some things that are discouraging. For the most part, I love the people of God's church but there are some difficult times. That's not when you bail, though. That's when you double down and go, wait a minute, this is how Jesus loved the church. He showed us he did. God empower me to do the same thing. Our gathering as a church is so important because, in a sense, it's the way the gospel goes forward. Now, the church gathered together is the outpost of the kingdom into the world. And we need, to see, we need the world to see this on a corporate level, and we need the world to see this on an individual level. So it's not enough to say, oh, I go out to share the gospel. No, no, no. We share the gospel corporately by doing this. Everyone in the world's going, what are they doing on a Sunday? I'll tell you what we're doing. We gather to sit under the preaching of the word of God and obey what we hear. We gather to take the sacraments together, signs that God has given us to remind us of the gospel and Jesus' death and resurrection in particular in baptism and communion. We gather to um, under qualified leadership with church discipline in place because we seek after the purity of God's church and the restoration of God's people. We gather together as a people on mission who, who, didn't know each other from Adam before, but because of what Jesus Christ has done and our being united to Christ by faith, because we're united to Christ by faith, we found out we're united to one another, and so we started just serving one another. And so all the one another's in Scripture, love one another, yes, pray for one another, bear with one another, all those commands in Scripture, we do that together so that we can testify to the world, this is what it looks like for the loving sovereignty of God to come over a people. This is how they care for each other. This is how they love each other. This is how they walk with one another. We are the served servants. That's how we live. We know we've been served, and so we come out of that and we serve others. We are the forgiven forgivers. We are a forgiving people. Why? Because we have been so stinking greatly forgiven. We are the loved lovers of people. We have been so loved. It's not just love others. It is we are loved and so we love. We are graced grace givers. How? Bear with one another. 
pray with one another, serve one another, love one another. Fifty, what, nine one another's in the New Testament. All of that out of this gospel grace. We are peace peacemakers, not conflict avoiders. We have been graced with God's peace. There is no longer enmity between us and God. And because of that, we have peace with him. So we go out into the world as peacemakers. We go into the church as peacemakers. And all of this testifies to the glories of God's kingdom and his redemptive rule and reign, which is seen here like nowhere else in all the world. I uh, came upon an interesting book uh, called In the Land of Believers. And uh, it's a book by Gina Welch, who was a Yale-educated atheist, and she pretended to be a Christian for two years. She picked a Baptist church, she got baptized, she became a member of the church, and just kind of hung out, which I'm like, dang, is someone doing that in here? <laughs> like, how our baptism class better be picking these people out, you know what I'm saying? But, but she, she managed to, to go two years, had never been in a Christian community before, and you would think afterwards, you're like, oh, one of those books where you're going, oh, don't even write it. It's going to be bad. It's going to talk about how terrible the church is and all this stuff. And actually, on the contrary, it didn't talk terribly about the church. She didn't come to faith in Christ. She fundamentally rejected the doctrine, but she had this, like, could not shake the power of the community together. Here's what she said. She said, she was astounded by the community gathering every week. She couldn't believe that it was a, touchstone for people who shared the same values, how needed that was. That it, she sensed it as being a safe place to share struggles. A place to be reminded of what you believe. A place to guard against loneliness. And a place to feel like there are others like you out there. How important is that for church? And this is all from an atheist. And most of the time we're grumpy about the problems that, you know, because there's people here and stuff. <laughs> I found that to be fascinating. And it just hit me again. The church is at the very heart of God's purposes. When God saves you from your sin, he saves you right smack dab into community. And yet, here's the question I would wonder for us in the suburbs where we live, um, there seems to be, and I told you about my college time a little bit, there seems to be this kind of push that's ongoing in the church where church is either seen as optional or seen as an obstacle, okay? One is the optional thing where uh, you, you go to the degree that you will be benefited by it. And, and, and you know, by the way, you're, you're, the, you're the head of that. Who, who decides? If you're the one assessing that, you decide. You go to the degree that it benefits you, or some will go the obstacle route where you will say something like, you know what, I'm just over the organized church. I'm over the institutional church. Have you been there? I've been there before. You know, with its politics and its structure and its authority, I'm kind of over all of that stuff. And so you'll kind of I sow your Christianity. Here, here's the irony of doing that, and I want to say it, and I would say it to my younger self as well. I think the people who do that, it sounds so noble, but it reeks of self-righteousness. Because what you've just said is, all that bad stuff is out there, but there ain't any of it in here, and if I can just keep my circle small, maybe even down to myself, 
a devotional, and a couple podcasts, everything's going to be pure in this environment. <laughs> Forgetting to see that you're the problem. That the problems that exist in the church exist in you. And so you can ISO it down to yourself, but he who forsakes the gathering, Proverbs 18, foolish pursuits. So how do we see this play out? Well, here's how Christians tend to, if they go the optional route or the obstacle route, a couple different ways. One, people church hop like a buffet. Okay, I'm not saying I don't want like, someone to be like, well, no, I belong somewhere, but then sometimes I participate in another church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you see church as you would like at a buffet. You know, you're like, oh, to greens, steak, Yes, pizza, yes, this, no. And you go through every church. You're like, I like this at this church, and I like this at this church, and I like this in this church, and I, I don't, I, I'm filled by that. Really, who are you submitted to? M- no one. You are, you're submitted to yourself. Uh, who, who's, who have you uh, uh, committed to and like accountability and love that really knows you? Well, there's a few people that know me around, but like th- this is how I do church. It, there's just no understanding of that in the New Testament, that you just kind of church hop and find the program that you like at each place, that you're not accountable to anyone, that you're not submissive to anybody's leadership, but just kind of floating around in your own self-styled Christianity. That's one of the options. Another option that I see is the substitute of the parachurch for the church. Now, praise God, there's parachurch ministries because that's the church seeing issues and wanting to go meet those issues, right? You have like, hey, there's a bunch of college kids that don't know Jesus. I think we should go send some people to help them know Jesus. Good thing, bad thing. Good thing. Really, really, really good thing. The problem is when you go, hey, but they also do Wednesday nights, so we get a message and we get worship, so it's basically like my church. Eh, Wrong. It's not your church. It's the church gathering together, but it's not the church as God has defined it in the New Testament. You need to be in a church and praise God if you're involved in a parachurch ministry, but it's not either or. It's both and, and one submits to the other, the parachurch to the church. Okay, here's another one. These are for the purists out there. I'm over the institutional church. Take me to the house church. This is a good one. Also, I've been involved in this before, the house church movement, right? Because we, I'm sick of all these lights and all this stuff. And I'm not saying lights, they can be bad, but you need them on so you can see your Bibles, for example, right? So, um, and even in a house, they flick them on, believe it or not, and you can still see it. I get that there's some complications with lights and we're not going there. We're not going there. We're not going there right now. But you go, man, I just wish if we could get back to the early church, that's when true discipleship happens. Really? Which one? Corinth? You want to go back to that church? They had a celebrity pastor issue. They didn't even blush when some young dude was sleeping with his, uh, his dad's wife. Um, they were uh, keeping the poor people from the feast and keeping them away from taking communion together. There was all kinds of problems in the way they used their spiritual gifts. That's, that's the early church you want to go back to? Or let's go back to Galatians. Yeah, the early church in Galatia, that's what I want to do. Really? The one that sold out the gospel and went back, reverted back, sold the spirit out, and went back to works of the flesh to try to grow their Christian faith? Where Paul had to uh, uh, confront Peter to his face that he was not walking in step with the gospel? Okay, fine. Well, let's go to the Ephesian church. Really? You want to go back to the Ephesian church? That Jesus in in Revelation had to say, you abandoned your first love. You need to repent and do the works you did beforehand. Should, should we keep going? 
Like, so, so the notion of like the purest movement, like, oh, let's just get back to when there was no mess. Listen, there's always been a mess. The perfect church will elude you because there's no such thing as the perfect church. The gospel reminds us God purchased a broken people. We're broken. We're rebellious. We're sinful. But praise be to God because of the work of the gospel and the spirit of Jesus Christ that dwells within us, we're in process. Thank you, God. And so bring your hypocrisy in here and settle in, won't you? Submit your self-righteous soul to the Lord and not just to me. Listen, I submit to the elders. We all submit to the elders. Every elder submits to the body of elders and you submit to the elders. Like I don't run rogue in this if you think I do. Oh, he's got a strong personality. My elders are 65 years old-ish. That didn't work. Oh, the young gun, been there before. That's the point of the relationship. They talk me off ledges, and I gladly submit to our elders because they are godly men. You need to be submitting to elders. Church is always, always, always going to be messy. And actually what the purist needs to learn is that they're typically the most impatient with real community because they're the most self-righteous about themselves. And so we don't press, we don't give up, we press on because the church's problems aren't an obstacle to you becoming more like Jesus. The opposite is true. Bearing with and loving the church is the means to how you grow. Next, conformity to Christ. The benefits of the gospel, communion with Christ, community with Christ's people, conformity to Christ. Here's how the movement happens, right? When we talk about what has the gospel done to transform us, we start with communion with Christ, which is in the beholding, okay? And then you have community in Christ's body, which is the belonging to one another. Beholding, belonging, and then you've got the conformity to Christ part, which is the becoming part. That we're not who we used to be. And who you are today is who you won't be in five years. You're going to look more like Jesus. Praise be to God. The reason the order is the way it is, community, excuse me, communion to community, is that by the time we get to conformity, what I want you to understand is your conformity to Christ is not an individual thing. It gets done in the context of community. Your conformity to Christ is not just you walking in individual holiness. You're being shaped to look more like Jesus happens in the context of community. That's why we started with communion. We went to community and now we're at conformity. And what does this look like? Well, it starts with gospel distinctiveness. From the world, we ought to be a distinct people. And it's sad that most polls, when they come out, show that whatever the issue is, Christians aren't walking that much different than the world. Anyone else just constantly discouraged? Doesn't matter what the subject is, right? And I guess they've cleared up a few of those things. Remember the divorce one that it was like, you know, as many Christians get divorced as non-Christians. They found out it wasn't a great study that Christians actually, generally speaking, get divorced less. But it's kind of like, yeah? Like that, that's what should be distinctly different. That, that, that's one of the many evidences that it should look like we are a set-apart people, right? Think about Romans 12 when Paul's just finished expounding the glories of the gospel. 
And he gets to Romans 12 and he says, in light of all of these mercies, and he was like, oh, they're great. Like, oh, the depths, right? Therefore, in view of God's mercies, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's what he wants. Conformed deals with external behavior. He's saying, don't be conformed in your external behavior in such a way where you're indistinguishable from the world. Don't do that. Be transformed. This is the better thing. Inside out work. Inside out work. Conformed outside transformed, God wants to do a work all the way through you because the truth is the Bible speaks about behaving righteously, but that's not the goal. The goal is to be holy. Now we know we can't do that on our own. We have the spirit of God empowering us in the work of the gospel, clarifying for us what it looks like to walk in this newness of life. And we get help with verses like Philippians 2.13 that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. So, so here's this dynamic with sanctification. In your salvation, you were doing the running, God was doing the saving. In sanctification, you're doing some work. But you gotta figure out how this work takes place. You are working it out because God is working it in. So God's the efficient cause. The spirit of God is the efficient cause in your salvation, but because he is, work it out, y'all. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is why in key texts like this on sanctification, the process of progressively becoming more holy, the passive voice is used. Just like we saw in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. We are being transformed you look at the rest of the verse, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit's the cause. Beholding, being transformed, not conformed to this world, but transformed, and in that transformation from the inside out, a work that only the Spirit of God can do, you become ever increasingly, in the words of Paul in Romans 8, 29, like his son Jesus. And this, according to that verse I had you stay on, 2 Corinthians 8, 3, 18, beholding in the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We change by degrees. There's ups and there's downs, am I right? It isn't a perfect trajectory of holiness. It looks like a ragged, a jagged kind of cliff, you know, where you're going up a hill, and, but there's stuff, and you're going to bounce back a little bit, and you're going to go up, and you're going to bounce back, and you're going to sin at times, and you're going to, right? That's the process, but in the process of growing, you're growing closer and becoming more like Jesus. It's a It's an evaluation by degrees. It's a progressive through your entire life process. Which makes sense because the goal is Jesus. Ephesians 4.13, the goal is mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. So you go, well, practically, I, I get it, I get it. We're supposed to be like Jesus empowered by the Spirit, but practically how do we do this? It's what we read in our scripture reading. It's the process, the, the Puritans called it the process of mortification and vivification, or we would call it put off 
and put on. How do you become a Christian? You better be slaying some sin and you better be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, Jesus, here's how it's connected to the gospel. Jesus was crucified, so you'd crucify your sin. Jesus was slayed, so you could slay your sin. We don't manage our sin. Jesus didn't die, so you could coddle your sin in a little corner. It's okay. I only let him out once a week. He's a nice lion. That lion will kill you if you give it the time. And by the way, even if you think you still control your little sin lion because you only let your sin lion out once a week, you're like, I'm doing great. It's two, two times a month now. Okay, but it's still regular in your life, right? Or, or, or what we'll do is we'll, we'll focus on symptoms like, hey, you got, a, you got a drinking problem. You got a porn problem. You got this. You got that going on. And so what we do, we just say, stop it. Stop doing the porn thing and you'll be all right. The problem is, you ever mowed over weeds in your backyard? Like, I literally went out, my, I have an office in the back, like in a shed that used to be a gardening shed, and I turned it into an office, and I walked out there, and I just picked weeds yesterday. I walked out to my office today. I'm sorry, I just mowed weeds. Anyway, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. There's some weeds, they get mowed, I walk, and they're already there again. And it's like, I just dealt with this. Here's the problem. If you don't deal with the weeds at the root, you are going to continue to have the same problem. Oh, I look at porn. Stop it. Helped no one ever. You need a new affection that supersedes that old affection that you cannot get out of, right? And so we've got to deal with the issues of the heart. That's the put off, put on. In Ephesians 4, there's this interesting part in the middle. Put off the old self, these old desires, old affections, old lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which is essentially the process of going again and again to this same thing that got you in in the first place, repentance and faith. You're constantly repenting of sin you've committed, and you're seeing sin for what it is, and you're seeing the glories of Jesus ever increasingly, and you're walking out of that sin because you're going, wait, Jesus is better than this. That's, that was the problem. I didn't see Jesus for who he is. Now I see him for who he is. And I'm telling you, the sin I used to walk in, I don't walk in anymore. I'm not even interested in that because the superior affection of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and walking in right relationship with him trumps that. It's not a stop it thing. It's an affections thing. It's dealing with sin at the root level, at the issues and idols of the heart. And then when you're there, when you're, when you're in this position where you're starting to pull weeds out, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's like the closing of the coffin. So, so, so here's what I mean. Smother sin's air hose with Christ-likeness. All right? Like, if it were places where weeds could grow, like lay down Christ-likeness over your life stake that ground is it's not going to get any water. It's not going to get any sun. It's not going to get any life. It's getting choked out. Why? It's getting choked out by Christ consuming likeness in my life where I'm substituting what I used to do and now walking gladly in obedience and submission to what Jesus would want me to do. And as we do that ever increasingly, we will bear the fruit of the spirit so it's not let go and let God. He's working some things out in you, into you, I should say, and you're working them out. 
This is the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus and we put him on. And then this, all that being said and done, we are then commissioned for Christ. We are then commissioned for Christ. That we are, we have the pleasure now of communing with Christ. We are purchased into Christ's people. We are being conformed corporately together into the image of Christ and we are being sent on mission for Jesus Christ. You and I have become the witnesses to the world of the gospel. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors, God making his appeal to us through the world. We are salt and light, preserving and displaying your fruitful faith so that people would glorify God. We are his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We get words out of our mouth about the good news of Jesus and we have lives that back it up. Our lives, if you're like, did you see my life? Do you see it? Come to Jesus. They're not gonna get that unless you say, hey, here's what's going on and my life shows that I've been changed by Jesus. That will compel them. It's words and it's actions. We make the gospel known. Listen, I know this sounds crazy, but you are God's plan. You're like, really God? Could you have picked somebody else? One of the craziest stories you can read it in the book of Acts is um, Cornelius getting confronted by an angel. And you would think like the angel would share the gospel with him, right? He's like, hey, you need to hear something. Go get Peter. You're like, really? I'm pretty sure, angel, you do a better job at this than Peter. But that wasn't God's plan. The plan was that the angel would pass it on to some numbskull like one of us in here to then show up to this person who's like, yeah, I I have a soft heart to the Lord. I see my sin for what it is. Can you help me? And you're like, Jesus. I don't really do death. I do really well. Resurrection and, you know, get it out. Spit it out. It wasn't good. God's working. Say it. Right? Well, wait for an angel to show up. The angel's hoping you'll go there. <laughs> oh, and by the way, this is a huge piece, and I would just say this in the church. There, there's, a, there's a stagnation that comes over your life if you are not missional, both in the church and outside of the church. If you're looking to take this in, you will like this for three years or so. There's a three to seven year itch where people start to get so uptight. And you know what stops the uptightness? Are you doing, are you stretching yourself to multiply yourself into anybody? Who, who, who can you say that you're doing that in their lives? Not, not just out there in the world. Who's becoming more godly because of your presence here? As we huddle up into small groups because we need that, you get it, get that community for yourself. You need mature people around you, praise God. But all those mature people need to multiply out so less mature people can be around you and they can grow in their faith, Right? So some of you need to hear that you need to get out of the the stagnant cesspool of frustration because you're sitting in a place of assessment all the time instead of mission. You, You weren't commissioned to talk about the problems. You were commissioned to be stretched for Jesus. And I'll tell you what, when you're stretched for Jesus, all the things you used to have problems about matter way less. When you're like, how do I help this person love Christ more? How do I get the gospel to this person? It will mellow us out a little bit at the three to seven year itch, which deserves a podcast, by the way, Ritter, (laughs) at some point. 
Because I'm telling you, it's like we're the best place in the world until you see every single problem. Get on mission, it won't be that way anymore. You'll see it's a normal church. I'm not trying to be a perfect church here. This is a normal church that will give you the preaching of God's word. Not well necessarily all the time, but dang, we'll try hard. We'll get you the exaltation of Jesus. We'll get you good, godly, faithful, biblical eldership. We'll submit our need to absolutely everything we see in God's word is insofar as God would strengthen us to be able to do that. We won't see it all perfectly. And then we'll collaborate together to strengthen and equip the saints for the work of ministry and to send people out from our church to make much of Jesus in the world. That's what we'll commit to. And if you're cool with that and you're willing to stretch yourself, we could have a long-term relationship, which would be awesome. Okay, that's it. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, sanctification. Thank you for the Spirit's work in our lives. Father, it is a tremendous joy that you lead us, that you guide us, that you've empowered us with your Spirit such that we can be confident we will not be the same. Lord, I pray that you would bless and, and guide us as a church to be a kind of people that loves one another, that endures with one another, that is gracious with one another. I pray that we would be a people that not only loves the gospel, but knows how to use the gospel, and that we would see many more come to faith because we're on mission for Jesus, that he might be glorified and people might be satisfied in their souls being saved through the personal work of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.